And here we go. Reds line number three. This is the opening day preview for 2019. We're going to talk about the opening day lineup, the Pittsburgh Pirates, and the starter today, and that is Luis Castillo. There was a little bit of controversy when he was named the opening day starter about a week back, a week to 10 days ago. Didn't have the greatest spring ever, uh, but let's shine some light on the subject. The last, basically the second half of last year in 11 starts, he put up a 2.44 ERA. That would have basically led the team. His last five starts, he had a 1.09 ERA. So, while at first I was, you know, kind of puzzled by this uh, opening day start, you know, they're trying to help him build off of last uh, second half's really good numbers. And the other thing is, besides Disco, he's kind of the guy that was there last year. So, I was kind of thinking that maybe Sonny Gray should be the opening day starter. Uh, Tanner Rourke had a really good spring. But, you know, if they want to put Luis Castillo out there and have him go against everybody else's aces, that's fine. It might help win series, you know, on the back end where you have Gray, uh, Rourke, Disco, and then hopefully Alex Wood will be, you know, back in the... Uh, Rotation in a couple weeks. So, that explains that. This will all be about winning series for the Reds. Uh, they have a probably, uh, at full health, they're probably a top 10 lineup in the major leagues. And while they got Scooter Jeanette out, uh, Nick Senzel is hurt. Hopefully, they will bring him up ASAP. Hopefully he will take over at shortstop instead of second base when he gets um, recalled. But uh, let's uh, go to bigger and better things. And let's talk about some positives. So the uh, 2019 opening day lineup is going to be Left field, Jesse Winker. First base, Joey Votto. Right field, Yasiel Puig. Third baseman, Inuinio Suarez. I probably butchered that. I can never get his name right, so I should just call him Gino from now on. Uh, for some unknown reason, the uh, organization thinks that Scott Shebler can play center field. He's batting fifth. Um a position I really like in the batting order and what I've suggested all along, Jose Peraza batting sixth. He's playing second base. I'll get back to that in a second. Tucker Barnhart is catching batting seventh. And uh, Jose Iglesias is the shortstop. He's batting eighth. You know, because we have to have him instead of Connor Joe for six years. The Reds organization thought it would be better to have Jose Iglesias on the team f f as a bench player for one year rather than have Connor Joe for six years. And then 
Luis Castillo will be pitching batting ninth. So let's kind of go through the lineup. Uh, Jesse Winker, in my opinion, should probably be batting seventh. And Nick Senzel should be leading off. Everybody's going to say, well, Nick Senzel's hurt. Well, Nick Senzel should have never been in the minor league game or minor league spring training game. They should have been, you know, fully having him ready to rock opening day. And the lineup, in my opinion, should be shortstop Nick Senzel, first baseman Votto, right field Puig. Um, if Scooter Jeanette was there, Scooter Jeanette playing second base. Then you'd have Suarez at third base. Then you'd have basically Jose Peraza as, as, at, uh, in center field. And then you'd have Jesse Winker batting 7th. And batting 8th, you'd have Tucker Barnhart in my personal lineup. But let's go back to what is the lineup. Jose Peraza, as I said, should bat 6th. It's kind of where the lineup turns over. He's got some speed. He also showed a knack last year for, um, you know, just putting the ball in play. So with your 3, 4, 5 hitters... Hopefully, you're all getting on base. Him putting the ball in play might have him drive him some runs. But here's where I like Jesse Winker batting in the seventh hole behind Peraza. If you have Winker in the sixth hole and Peraza batting seventh, Peraza doesn't hit the ball very hard, and Jesse Winker doesn't run very fast. So you're talking about, you know, 15 to 20 double play balls, which will, you know, kill a rally, kill any momentum that the lineup has going for it. It's basically uh, not efficient. So I'm really happy they got Jose Peraza batting sixth because, you know, if Nick Senzel comes up and they get him batting leadoff, hopefully they'll throw Winker behind Peraza and, you know, the lineup will have some efficiency. But anyway, let's go back to what we know. Jesse Winker is going to be leading off. I'm not really a super fan of this. Uh, Winker has a great ability to drive in runs. Uh, I am big into analytics, but I'm also kind of a mixture. The ability to drive in runs is innate, and you really can't... You know, the people that say RBIs don't matter are the same people that wins don't matter for starters... And I could go on the whole wins batter for starters because it proves that they stayed in the game and gave their team a chance to win. But analytical nerds, they're just into war and, you know, things like that. So, whip. And uh, while I'm all for that stuff, you know, um, Jesse Winker batting leadoff, he's going to have a 400 on base percentage, you know, minimum 370. But I believe he'll get on base, you know, Adam Dunn-esque, 400. Uh, so that's why they have him leading off. I just feel that he should be later on in the lineup because that guy's going to drive in, you know, 100 runs if they would just use him correctly. They have him at the top of the lineup with uh, Joey Votto hitting second for their on-base percentage. So it's understandable. But, you know, I believe Nick Senzel would have got on base at a 350, 360, 370 clip anyway. Maybe even 380, 390, who knows. 
You know, Nick Senzel's a really great hitter. Um, gets on base any way possible. So, um, but anyway, I need to quit talking about what isn't. I need to start talking about what is. So, I think Winker will probably get on base. Um, like I said, at a 400 clip. And you got Joey Votto. Hopefully, Joey just lets her rip this year. I, I don't mind that he takes walks. They're just as good as hits. I'm not an anti-walk. I just think he needs to uh, drive the ball if it's close, not be so selective. You know, the guy is at least a 25, 30 home run hitter if he's putting the barrel on the ball, and that's where he needs to be. Uh, I actually read somebody was complaining Puig was batting third. That makes no sense. This guy is on a new lease on life. He loves Cincinnati. He's going to be your starting right fielder, hopefully, for 150, 155 games this year. And I believe this is going to be his breakout season. It's his free agent season. Having um, Winker and Votto in front of him is going to be huge for guys to be on base. Hopefully, that'll be Senzel later. I'll get off on that. But Puig has the opportunity to, you know smack 40 to 45 home runs, maybe even 50, drive in 100 runs, you know, and I believe this is the year he's going to, you know, bat over 300, and I believe he's going to have, like, this amazing season being in Greater Miller American Ballpark, so I, I don't think you can go wrong with Puig batting third. I think you want him um, at the plate more than a lot of other people. And I think that Puig is going to take a lot of pressure off Suarez. You know, Suarez has, you know, hit 30 home runs last year, was an all-star, missed some games, still drove in 100 runs. I believe Suarez is going to have an even better year this year. I believe Suarez is probably going to hit 40 home runs. I believe Suarez is going to be over 120, 125 RBIs. Just literally because Puig is that guy that's going to take all the pressure off Suarez. Suarez, all he's got to do is go up there and, you know, play baseball. And it's going to be awesome. Um, so basically, I, I agree Suarez in the four-hole right now until Jeanette gets back. Then I believe Jeanette should be fourth and Suarez should be fifth. So then we got Scott Shebler. They got him batting fifth and playing center field. Again, makes no sense. Shebler is not a center fielder. Uh, Jose Praza should be your center fielder. Hopefully they'll get this straightened out and Praza will be in center field before their year's out. Um, basically, shot she Scott Shebler does not hit well with runners on base. That's why they had him leading off last year. Um, he had a really... Uh, a strange ability to have a higher batting average and, you know, put the ball in play and let her rip leading off. And it was successful for him because him batting lower in the lineup, he, he, he just got to look at his numbers. They're, they're pretty pedestrian as far as with runners on base, but who knows, you know, um, they're telling him he won the center fielder job. Maybe he's going to have confidence. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's going to come out and just start raking. I don't believe it. Um, I believe the guy's going to hit, you know, 27, 28 home runs, maybe even 30. But 
Uh, I don't believe he's a center fielder. The pitching's going to suffer because of this. You know, uh, he's not going to be able to cover ground. And I don't mean like I want Billy Hamilton ability covering ground. I just want center fielder ability covering ground. And that's where Shebler's not going to be really great out there. We're talking worse than Chu when he played center field. And everybody's going to be like, oh, Chu was awesome. No, Chu was not awesome in center field. G- great at getting on base that year, no doubt. 300 times, 301 times on base or whatever it was. But, um, you know, Scott Shebler's going to be a mess out there. Then they have Jose Peraza, like I've already talked about, hitting sixth. It's a perfect position for him. He can just put the ball in play, drive in some runs. Um, like I said, the only, the one problem with him is, is he does not hit the ball hard. He will hit the ball right to the shortstop several times. And he's a ground, uh, ground ball machine sometimes. And the double plays will hurt. But again, I believe sixth spot is the best spot for him in the lineup. So we got Tucker Barnhart, and uh, I really wanted JT Romato, however you pronounce his name. I was hoping they'd get that trade done. They just, uh, I don't know if they didn't work the trade right or or what happened, but it just took too long to consummate that deal. And then that let uh, Philadelphia get in there and get him. Uh, sometimes you got to, like, Close deals, and they just didn't, you know, and they wait on calls, call back, you know, didn't work out great. You know, they should have probably hammered that deal down and got it done. Um, now we're dealing with Jose Iglesias in the starting lineup, which is a joke. Uh, he's going to be a pretty good shortstop defensively. That's not an issue. But like I said, Senzel could have played shortstop. Senzel has a rocket arm, and now we're without Connor Joe for six seasons, six years of control because of uh, one bench season of Jose Iglesias. I don't believe that Iglesias is going to um, be that great offensively. He did hit 31 doubles last year, but he doesn't hit the ball hard. He's basically just going to be in front of the pitcher. So he may get on base a little bit while he plays, but I believe this is a major mistake in this uh, lineup. I believe this is a major roster mistake. And here's the other thing. All these, this, this major mistake decision of even signing him trickled down everywhere to, to where Senzel got sent down to minor league camp. Connor Joe got was traded to the Giants. He's going to be their everyday left fielder. You know, this this signing, they have these signings every year, the Reds do. Like last year it was Pennington and Goslin. The year before it was, you know, I don't know who, who it was, but I'm sure they sucked. You know, but, you know, we've had these signings before. Raymond Santiago, whatever. It's just that, hey, you got... A pretty good team here. You got a good mix. Iglesias is not going to be a good bench bench player, just because his offensive skill set is not a bench skill set. So 
that's what I have to say about that. Uh, I, th- I, I think one through four is really strong. I think Jose Praz hitting six is probably going to go to waste a lot, even if he gets on base. Um, back to Barnhart, I'd like to talk more about Tucker. I believe Tucker's going to have a career year. Um, nothing like putting a fire under someone or putting a fire in their belly when you're about to get replaced. And I believe this is going to be his year. He's going to smack out 20 home runs. I believe he's going to have a real good offensive season. I'm not saying he's going to hit 300 with 20 home runs and a 99 RBIs. I'm saying, you know, I believe he's going to hit over 20 home runs. I believe he's going to bat, bat 270, 280. And I believe he's going to scratch 75 RBIs. I think he's going to have a great offensive year. Going to be super valuable, especially in the offseason. Maybe even at the trade deadline, if a team like the Padres is in the uh, is in the uh, hunt and they want a little better catcher, I believe that Barnhart could just bring a haul back as far as prospects. So anyway, I probably need to keep talking about the lineup. Um, like I said, Winker, Votto, Puig, Suarez, fr- front four, real strong. Uh, Shebler. I just don't think he's an everyday player, personally. It's just going to put a lot of pressure on um, Luis Castillo, who I think already has a ton of pressure because they did give him the opening day assignment. But, um, you know, they are playing the Pittsburgh Pirates. Who are they facing? Uh, Jameson uh, Tellone and... You know, that guy has really came a long way since they've uh, brought him up. I think he, three years ago, he started 18 games, had a sub-4 ERA. The next year, I think he started uh, 20-something games. I know he had a 4.44 ERA just because I remember that sticks out in my head. And then last year, he started 32 games, had a 3.20 ERA. Really came into his own, 191 innings, uh, 179 strikeouts, only 179 hits and 191 innings. Uh, this guy is going to probably be an ace for the Pirates, actual homegrown ace. The Reds, I believe that there's so much hype around this year's opening day, I believe the Reds are probably going to probably win this game. And let me tell you why. Uh, I think Jamison Tyon is going to pitch well. I think the Reds are probably going to probably go through their lineup once. But after that, I think that come that third inning, when they wrap through there, or the fourth inning, I think they're going to start crushing him. And I think that we're going to see some home runs from Puig. I think you're going to see a home run from Barnhart. I think you're going to have a really good game from Jesse Winker, and this is why. This is the first time Jesse Winker is you know, not having to look over his shoulder, really. Of course, he does have Kemp looking over his shoulder, but 
the idea that they need a guy to lead off and Winker's their guy, I think Jesse Winker is going to just have a great game. I'm talking two hits, two walks, two or three runs. I don't know if he's going to hit a home run, but I just think he's going to get on base three or four times and really set the tone for this team. I hope Joey Votto walks five times or, you know, whatever, but I just believe that this whole uh, game is going to be really break open in the fourth inning. I think the Reds are going to win. I think Luis Castillo is probably going to give up four earned runs. Even though the Pittsburgh Pirates really don't have the super offensive team, that's just my opinion. So I'm predicting a score of like seven to four. I think the like I said, we're gonna look at the Pirates are gonna be on top after the second or third inning, but I think that fourth, fifth, sixth inning, I believe the big red machine offense is gonna just come unwound. And they're going to put up a five spot or something like that. And I believe that the opening day score is going to be seven to four. Maybe even more, uh, depending on how late you're getting the game. Um, which we can talk about what's missing from that opening day lineup besides Nick Senzel because of his ankle injury. And Scooter Jeanette beside, because of his uh, groin injury. Matt Kemp. So a lot of people in Reds Nation 4192 are like, hey, why is Matt Kemp not playing? Well, ladies and gentlemen, Matt Kemp should have been traded. And the Reds, he, I think he's owed like $14.5 million by the Reds because the Dodgers and the Padres are paying some of his salary. Well... We're in a situation here where they want to let Jesse Winker start, you know, 140, 150 games in left. They're giving the starting nod to Puig and right, you know. So Kemp really can only play left field or right field. He can't play center field anymore. Uh, I just wish they would have traded him. And I know it's going to be hard to trade him. I know people in the devil's advocate realm of Reds Nation 4192 say, well, don't you think if they were going to trade him, they they would have traded him and teams would have took him? Well, it's really a limited market for Kemp, and you got to be pretty creative. So you either got to be taking back someone else's albatross contract, like a Zach Grinke, who's owed $35 million a year for the next three years, or you got to pay a lot of his salary. Hence, basically, remember Brandon Phillips getting traded to the Braves and the Reds paid $12 million of his $13 million salary or $13 million of his $14 million salary. Uh, Kendry Morales just got traded from the Blue Jays to the Oakland Athletics. And I believe that the Blue Jays are playing $11 million of his $13 million salary. So I'm not into that. I'm not into playing, paying other teams to take your players. I believe that that's how you take advantage of other teams. 
And so my whole deal was, man, they need an ace. Uh, Justin Verlander just signed a two-year extension. Jason, uh, Jacob DeGrom just signed a five-year extension. Chris Sale just signed a four- or five-year extension. There's not a lot of aces going to be available uh, anytime soon that is going to fit the mold to really what the Reds need in a playoff series. Zach Greinke is available. He's right there for the taking. I, I believe that they needed to work that deal with Matt Kemp, especially, especially with Steven Souza Jr. going down with a all kinds of problems with his knee, tore his ACL, his P, uh, PCL, his LCL, and then I think there was even another tear on a uh, capsule. So the Diamondbacks are short an outfielder. Matt Kemp's an outfielder. Zach Grinke's owned all this money. I mean, this is almost a match made in heaven. Now, the Reds aren't going to pay him $35 million a year. The Diamondbacks, whether they trade him to the Cincinnati Reds or trade him to the Seattle Mariners or New York Yankees or or whoever they trade him to, Miami Marlins, you name it, Kansas City Royals, back to the Milwaukee Brewers, whoever they trade him to, that market for $35 million is not there. So the market for Grinky right now is about $25 million. So basically, the Diamondbacks would have to pay at least $10 million annually for the next three years to move Grinky. And that's where the Reds need to pivot that salary of Kemp's over to the Diamondbacks. Let the Diamondbacks pay Grinky a little bit of uh, Grinky salary for the next three years. And then Grinky has this no trade clause. Well, yeah, the Reds are on it, but the no trade clauses are there for leverage. All these other players are getting extensions. So, like I said, you're not going to have many ace starters available. It's not going to kill the Reds to extend Grinky a year or even two years on that contract. But I believe Grinky, for another year added, would probably waive his no-trade contract or no-trade clause. So, anyways... Matt Kemp's on the bench. It's $14.5 million on the bench. But in the Reds' defense, they traded Homer Bailey for Alex Wood, Puig, and Matt Kemp. So you were either going to have $25 million in, in Bailey pitching every five days. Or they got Alex Wood for the rotation, Puig for right field. And then they got Kemp's salary, which is $14.5 million on the bench. So even at the very least, even if I'm defending the Reds' front office at this point, having Kemp on the bench for $14.5 million is way better than having Homer Bailey pitch every five days for $25 million. But I still think they should have used that roster or that payroll to get a, another starter and the starter that fits them perfect is Grinky. And actually, they did check in with on Grinky back in November. It was reported on Twitter. It was either John Morrissey or Jeff Sapon or Jeff Besson, how you pr pronounce his name. They reported on it, and I posted it in Res Nation forty one ninety two that the Res did check in on him. 
And then there's going to be the devil's advocate that's like, oh, well, then why didn't they get it done? I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't know the answer to that. But I can tell you this. The Diamondbacks traded Paul Goldschmidt, their cornerstone player. They are totally looking to rebuild. Uh, Grinky doesn't fit them. And uh, the Reds need an ace. That's what they should have done. And there's not any other Albatross contracts out there that fit the Reds' needs. And it's just that simple. You know? Um, so here we go back to the drawing board. Uh, let's talk about who won the last 24th roster spot. That was on Reds line number two. It was down to Robert Stevenson, Wandy Peralta, and Matt Whistler. As you'll recall, I talked about the Adam Duvall trade and being smart with who you're trading for. Matt Whistler came over with uh, Kyle Tucker and Lucas Sims. It might not be Kyle Tucker. Whatever that guy's name is, his last name is Tucker. Kyle Tucker might be his younger brother. Anyways, so we got Tucker's gone. Lucas Sims had two option years left. This is his last year. And Wizard only had last year's options left. So taking on Duvall really got rid of three roster problems for the Atlanta Braves. And that's where the Reds, I don't, they have to know this. If they don't, it's a shame. That's where they really got to be more on the ball on who they're taking back. Remember I talked about the Dodgers getting Jeter Downs and Josiah Gray. Four and five years of minor league, uh, basically, uh, options left. The Reds, when they traded Duvall, got players with no options left except Sims. And so here we are, uh, down to Stevenson, Peralta, and Whistler. Now, the reason this makes no sense on why they even put Whistler out on waivers where he can be taken by any team. They already have Amir Garrett and Zach Duke as left-handers in the bullpen. You don't need a third left-hander. I don't care if it's Wandy Peralta. Unless it's Andrew Miller, you don't need that third guy. And here's the thing. Like I said in Red's line number two, you're going to have injuries. So why not stick Peralta down there and see what happens? Because you might have an injury to anybody. And you could be bringing him back up. Instead, you've exposed Matt Whistler to waivers. And I believe Matt Whistler was a nice little reliever, you know. Um, the guy was going to be able to come in and pitch two or three innings if a starter didn't make it through four or five. And I really like Matt Wizzler's approach, and I like how he pitches, and he induces some ground balls, and I just believe it was uh, roster malpractice to not have him on the opening day roster and roll with Duke and Garrett as your left-handers and Peralta with options. 
and see what happens. I mean, look at what we've dealt with with Jeanette and Sinzel. You don't think there's going to be an injury to the pitching staff? I mean, we are, they already have an injury to Alex Wood. And so when Alex Wood comes back, Molle is probably going to get put back in uh, AAA. <coughs> Excuse me. So here we go again. Um, that's why you got to, when you're trading for players, they need to have plenty of time um, on the red side for roster reasons. And um, this isn't the first time this has happened with the Reds trading for players. When they traded our oldest Chapman, rookie Davis, I think he had two more years. But Caleb Cotham was out of options. Uh, Eric Jaglio, or however you pronounce his name, Tony Renda was out of options for another year, like basically. I mean, that whole trade was a mess, but there's a pattern here of the Reds taking on prospects that are, you know, not have a lot of control. And anyway, um, I hope no one picks up Whistler, but uh, with teams shaping up their rosters right now, uh, I believe Whistler will be claimed, you know, tomorrow or Friday, and uh, I'll have that in my next Reds line to be like, hey, I was right again. So um, anyway, uh, it's opening day will be tomorrow, or today, actually. And um, I guess let me know what you think about the opening day lineup. Let me know what you think about uh, Luis Castillo pitching opening day. And uh, let me know your predictions. If you listen to this, put your predictions in the comments. I think it's going to be really uh, amazing opening day. I think it's going to be the most excitement this town has had since probably 2013. After the, you remember when they were swept in 2012? Uh, not swept, I'm sorry. They lost the three games after being up two, two to nothing on the Giants. Two games to nothing. So I think this is the most exciting opening day in 2019 since 2013. And like I said, I believe it's going to be a 7-4 to Reds win. Lineup's going to be a little lethargic at first. And then I think they're just going to blow it open with a five-run inning or a four spot and a three spot. But uh, then again, you know, this might be a 9-4 to game. Eight to four, seven to four, somewhere between seven runs and nine runs for the Reds, four runs for the Pirates. I believe Castillo is probably going to give up uh, those four runs early. I'm hoping he'll pitch uh, into the sixth inning, and then they can break out their you know eighteen different relievers they have options for in the bullpen. So, anyways. Uh, this is Red's line number three. You've just listened to the opening day preview. And um, here's the hoping that the Cincinnati Reds win opening day 2019.